I think you need to be a bit bullied too. That has to be a little bit of the um, like the ingredient to like making a TV show. They're just trying to water down entertainment so it's not, all right, let's offend the least people as possible. That's what it seems like to me. How did this love blossom? What is the genesis of the bromance? I grew up loving Matt Stone and Trey Parker and, and Paul McCartney and John Lennon. I loved groups of people that all had a common goal in, in comedy or art. I also need to ask you, before I forget, about the neckbeard character. <laughs> I can tell you a lot about that character. His name is Lucas the Magnificent. I want to know from you why 98% of the animations that I see look exactly the same right now. Uh, we need to know what your persona is. Hey, welcome to the Create Unknown. I am Kevin Lieber. With me, as always, is Matthew Tabor. And joining us today from the other side of planet Earth is animator extraordinaire Michael Cusack. Thanks for joining us, Michael. No problem at all. How's it going? It's fantastic to be here today. <laughs> it is fantastic, isn't it? You know, yeah, I'm not even joking. I'm, I loved it. Like we we're just saying before recording, I I love doing these things, and I've got my nice cup of tea and. It feels very official. Everything feels, yeah, really cool. The end of the TV show, now I can do the press junket. <laughs> That's right. This is the, the press junket. The rest of your life is just going to be things like this. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait, honestly. It's good. Give Johnny me that, Carson, please. Ed McMahon. There are so many questions <laughs> I want to ask you about your 10 million projects over the last few years. Uh, but first, I want to ask you a stupid question that came straight out of my smooth brain. And that is, when I think of Australia, I think of horrifying, deadly animals that will kill you and laugh over your corpse. So if you had to choose some uniquely deadly Australian creature to die from, what would it be? Well, that's funny. It seems to be a, I guess, like a meme now that Australia is this deadly place that you come here and you'll be killed from a spider or a snake. And it's really not that. It's not that bad. Like I live in the city in Melbourne, and I haven't seen a spider or a snake in, in, God, forever. They they just don't come here. But uh, when when I used to go like camping with my dad and my friends, that's when you'd see spiders. But even then, you mostly just see like huntsmen's. Uh, I at least I did. And huntsmen, what huntsmen's are? Their spiders are about as big as your hand. Um, uh, and. They'll just they'll just appear on the wall like fucking Shelob uh, from Lord of the Rings, and they, they, they'll just they'll they'll you walk in a room, it's not there. Then like a minute later, it just appears on the wall, and uh, it's so they're so fucking scary. But the good thing about them is they don't they're not known to bite you or anything. I think they can bite you, but they're not poisonous. But the spider I'd be really scared of is um it's a spider called a white tip, and they're known to like be at the bottom of pools and just strange areas they hide uh just to um not be uh stepped on or anything but they're just in areas where you like uh you can easily uh, just step or get hit by them i, I don't know, even know what i mean by that but because <laughs> i don't know much about them but i've heard of friends that have run into white tips and 
what they do is um they always like rot your skin away like they they leave like a <laughs> rotting bite uh so they can be a bit scary oh. they're probably the scariest ones <laughs> yeah but i just, just want to make them clear yeah, oh yeah what 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 give us some more information on the white tip the white well tip i just is, i just um, popped in some pictures uh, in the chat if anybody's in yeah, it's it's a pretty small spider. It's funny, the smaller the spiders here are, generally the more dangerous, it seems. We've got like the funnel web, uh, the white tip. By the way, I'm not an, uh, if you can't tell, I'm not a uh, Australian wildlife expert. I'm uh, pretty much uh, almost a dummy on this entire subject, but I know those two spiders are pretty scary. We've also got a red back. I think those are in America though, right? The I think it's called like the Black Widow there. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Black Widow. Yeah. That's Pretty much our deadliest. I don't think any of these spiders you can really die from. I think what happens is they bite you. You get like a like a like some gangrene, or, or you're about to rot away, and you get sick a bit. But you can you can treat it pretty well now, <laughs> at least. I think back in the old days, you'd be pretty fucked if you got bitten and didn't have a hospital around you or anything. We have two people in the chat who have been uh, bitten by a white white-tailed spider. Really. Um, yeah, it looks like both Australians in the chat here have have been bitten. Tom and it's, James. It seems have. like a lot of people have. My um, my ex was bitten while she was sleeping. She just woke up and <sighs> she had a a white tail bite. So they're vicious, I tell you. <laughs> the the uh, the consensus in chat is white tips are c words. Yeah, <laughs> not going to yeah. say the actual word, but it begins with uh- c. Oh, uh, can we not swear in this this podcast? <laughs> uh, no, we should be okay. I just have that, that, I just have a moral code. That was a term of endearment, actually. The the c, the the evil c word. That's uh, in Australia, we'll use that as regular as we say mate or or it's an, it's it's you, you say that if you really love someone. Oh, <laughs> he's a, he's a good c. It's it's a it's a horrible word in in America, but yeah, I've heard that in Australia and and even the UK, it's used a lot more flowingly. I want to just circle back a split second before we ignore the fact that you casually stated that when you go camping, you just see huntsmen, which are the size of a human hand. That's all. Yes. I mean, the fact yes. that you were so nonchalant about seeing spiders the size of an God. adult male's hand, uh, I think proves my point. So thank you very That's much. That's so funny. It, it's, it really is interesting to see Americans react to it. Google huntsman spider. No, and especially Horrible. look at the ones where they're on a wall. That's 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 their natural habitat on on a on a kitchen wall when you're in a, a dressing gown at your weakest moment. That's that's when you're gonna see them. And uh, dressing gown, it's fucking terrifying. You do get used to it. Even even me, uh, I, I still get really scared of them. But I I don't even feel like a a typical rugged Australian. I feel like a more a wimp Australian. <laughs> A wimp Australian making your your great yeah. drawings. And and also, uh, Matt's referring to the chat. You know, we're recording live on Discord. If you want to be part of our show, then you need to become a patron and go to patreon.com slash the create unknown. And you can join us for phenomenal conversations like this. So, Michael, congrats on YOLO Crystal Fantasy. Um, there are two Thank episodes so out right now, uh, and I've watched both of them twice. I love the show. Um, I have so many questions. I think I want to start with, though, uh, in episode two, there's a moment where uh, 
I don't know what you'd call it, a, a, an NPC, a random character, just starts punching the ground, right? Mm, like he yeah. just punches the ground, and it's animated so beautifully and with with such precision and <laughs> care and detail. Uh, but that's it. That's the joke. It's just a guy. That's the joke. Like, punching yes. the mud. What? What? Yeah, that's <laughs> and the it's joke. funny. Why is that funny? Why did I laugh at <laughs> I the guy know. punching the ground? Where I, does I that know. come I've, from? I've, I've, it's funny you ask these questions because I'm trying to analyze that myself right now. I'm, I'm in this uh this weird introspective state where I'm trying to figure out why things are funny, what why things work. And that one in particular, uh, me and my friend Brendan Caulfield, who composed all of YOLO, I went to high school with him and we would always make jokes like that. Like if someone, if you get really excited, just like start punching the wall or punching the ground. Like, I think we did it uh, jokingly. And because we'll basically like, we're, I mean, you can get a pretty good idea of what kind of kids we were just from that. You know, we weren't the most popular kids at the school. So um, <laughs> it, it comes from a lot of the things I find funny still is, is a lot of that, uh, I guess, like ADHD, just uh, uh, off stupid shit like that. It's it's a lot of stuff I felt like I, can't, I was thought was funny when I was, you know, like 15 years old. Nothing's really changed. And uh yeah, I, I don't know. I can't I can't fully answer why that is funny, but all I can say is I guess it's just cuz it's like visceral, I guess, and just you wouldn't expect it. You wouldn't like someone wouldn't really do that in real life. So, I think shock is always uh, is always um to a benefit in comedy. Uh if it t- if it takes you off your guard and you've got to believe that the character's really doing it in the TV show or the movie or anything, you know, they can't half-ass do it. You know, it wouldn't be as funny if he bent down, like, kind of, ha, ah, just, like, half-punched the ground. The fact he's so into it makes it funnier because <laughs> then it's like, oh, yeah, he, I really believe that. You know, for some reason, this person does this in this world. <laughs> so it's all about execution, too. There's a few layers to how to make a joke funny like that. Your first mistake in this process was working with somebody who you knew in high school. That is that yeah, is something that'll well, ruin your life. I, I, you shouldn't no, have done I, it. I did that on. <laughs> I actually did that on purpose. I I um not only one. I actually got two high school friends to work on this. My good friend Todd Manolovich, who I've known since I was gosh like twelve years old. I went, uh you know we were the same shit. We're into you know we were the kind of, to get a good idea of the kids we were. Uh, at that age like we'd be into like things like dream theater and like progressive metal like opeth um we yeah. loved like half-life and and steam games you know oh the fucking what have you have you seen like team fortress 2 is coming out soon yay like that shit like oh my god portal uh and then um like flash cartoons we love flash cartoons like oh my god um uh like homestar runner like oh let's let's marathon them all now you know we were, we were fucking that that type of archetype. So there was a lot of like squee and and uh, ADHD and autism, but that's fine. I think it all uh, <laughs> as long as you survive that and you get. I think you need to be a bit bullied too. That has to be a little bit of the um, uh, like the ingredient to making you turn out. I guess like making a TV show. Like you, you need to, you can't be full in, like full just gone like that. You also need to be a little bit self aware and realize you're a bit fucked. So yeah, having <laughs> high school friends is good. It uh, it, it's good because I can talk to them now, and we can remember a lot of the stuff we joked about back in the day. So that that was brought into the TV show. What were you bullied for? 
just for, for liking was, nerdy I, stuff? I wouldn't say I was really bullied. Like, um, I would definitely, there was a divide between uh, the, the kind of kids that were more cerebral and into uh, like movies, TV, artistic stuff like that, music, definitely like musicians. And like the, the Australian kids were like, what? I just want to play footy. What you're into that gay shit like drawing? I'm gonna fucking I'm gonna kill you. It's <laughs> they, they, there's a bit of a divide. So they, they would uh just you know they'd be the more masculine kids at school that would uh I guess look down on kids that weren't into like sports and things like that. You're but describing with them too. Like summer Heights High. <laughs> yeah, like so, the, dude, the... Summer Heights High is pretty damn accurate to uh australian reality that's i guess that's why i did so well here and abroad <laughs> as well that that show is extremely accurate if you want a good portrayal of australian the australian high school experience yeah just watch summer high tie you'll get what it all is there that? is it like Dis- degrassi for australians no oh, it's comedy. <laughs> i guess you yeah. could say that it's yeah it is a comedy it's a it's it's very much like sasha baron cohen how he, he does different characters like bruno and borat Ali G, all that type of thing. We've got a comedian here in Australia named Chris Lilly, and he has this show called Summer Heights High where he does this kind of thing where he's playing the teacher, he's playing a kid, he's playing um, uh, like another, like a, like a, a teenage girl kid and like a, a rough teenage boy. So he's playing all these kind of, kind of different characters at the school. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just, satire of australia um yeah it's it's really funny actually it's one of our funniest shows as well as kath and kim we've only got like two main comedy shows is that it seems like that dynamic that you're at high school dynamic comes across in a lot of your your work because i see those characters i can't even do an impersonation of them because they're so distinctly australian when you're talking about like footy i i don't know what that is is that rugby <laughs> is that rugby footy is, footy? footy is rugby yeah it's a, oh, it depends okay. what state you're in so if you're in if you're in new south wales if you say footy you're referring to the nrl uh which is rugby but if you're in a state like victoria and you say footy it'd be referring to afl because that's the the main sport here that's australian football league uh two different completely uh different sports um, and there's a bit of a rivalry between states over that kind of thing. But New South Wales is actually in the... Well, at least where I lived in New South Wales, because Sydney in New South Wales has an AFL team, but I grew up in a, a town called Wollongong, and it, that's a very rugby-centric small town. Um, yeah, AFL. If I remember, because my dad came from Victoria, and I was into AFL because of him, and because I was into AFL, everyone at my school was like, what the fuck, you're in the AFL, you fucking pussy? We're into <laughs> rugby here in Wollongong. And I was like, oh, but my dad's into AFL. And they're like, yeah, you, you suck, fucking, what the fuck, AFL? You know, like, you get bullied over that, too. So. <laughs> We're a pretty harsh nation when it comes to interests. That's actually what I found. That If I could boil it down to anything, it's what you're interested in. If you're, like, into something... You're seen as like a, a a very strange kid. Like what? You're you've got an interest? Ew. 
<laughs> so generally speaking, a lot of people are not interested in things or there's I just think, like a prescribed set of things you're expected to be interested in. Yeah, I, I think it's more on that second point. It's it's more a prescribed uh, charter of interest that Australians should have. And if you stray away from that, even a little bit, you're a termite in the ant nest. You're you're a traitor and you're probably being Americanized. That's the thing I used to get accused of a lot. And I even here's the funny thing. Here's the here's the sick part. Uh I would be into the Simpsons and things like that. And I'd get uh, quote unquote like bullied, I guess, or like like kind of bagged out for being into American stuff. But then I would also bully my friend because he was more into American stuff than me. So I had a friend that loved American TV and all that. And I was like, ugh, like gross. Like get into Australian stuff. What's wrong with you? But I, I was the same. He was just like probably 1%, you know, more into that stuff than me. That's how, that's how it works. It's really like a, it's just the jungle here. So that 1% turned you into an Australian nationalist when you were around. Oh, yeah, him. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm sure he bullied someone that was even worse than him. He was like. It just kept going, you know. It was like that picture of the fish eating like a, a smaller fish, and it continues. <laughs> the food, ch- the food chain of Australian bullying. Yeah, yeah. Or how how fucking pussy American can you get? And then like the the most bullied one just moves to America and becomes like Elon Musk. That's actually how it works, I think. It's a society well, built on pain. Yeah, yeah. It it definitely roughs you up and and. Uh, I don't know. I kind of like it in a sick, perverse way. I do like how, how uh, just mess of a, a system, a, a social system. It it's good to make fun of it. It's, it's, nice. it's fun to. It's good for material. It's good for uh, silly cartoons. It's cool that you're still allowed to make fun of somebody there, which is yes. Uh, I, I think soon that's probably increasingly be waning for us. Well, do you, do you think that's going to change? That easy uh, here? No, no. I think I think actually we're very um, influenced by America in that sense too, and I think I think the UK is as well. Uh, it's you know that that whole thing is it, it's very um, you're tipping on uh, tipping on your toes, I guess, around what you can get away with in comedy and and in anything really on TV here. So that's that's another reason why I like making stuff for America. I know it's still the climate is 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 hard to navigate there with like oh who are you going to offend and all that type of thing, but Australia in my opinion is a little bit worse just because our entertainment a lot of the time is funded by the government. We've got a channel called the ABC here which is the equivalent of uh PBS in America and that's government funded. So if you make a comedy show for them or anything really, there's a there's a charter, there's a checklist of things that you have to do. And I, I wouldn't say it's not that's not the worst part, because it's not like, oh, you've got to put in this propaganda about the prime minister, blah, blah, blah. It's not as nefarious as that. It's it's more um I guess it's like a psychological thing too, because they're also giving notes back all the time and uh they're just trying to water down entertainment so it's not it's gonna all right, let's offend the least people as possible. That's what it seems like to me. So America seems a little bit more free with what you can do. But you made Koala Man for ABC, right? So do do you have a specific example of something that, that they wouldn't let you do in one of those episodes? 
so in Koala Man, there's a um, there's a corner shop guy who's a Lebanese man named Hamir because he's based off a Lebanese man that was a corner shop guy from the small town I grew up in, and they said that was problematic because it's a stereotype having a Lebanese man work as a corner shop man. Uh, my argument was well, it's based on something I actually experienced. It's not something I thought was a stereotype. It's just a firsthand experience. And they said, no, no, you're going to have to change that just to John, just like some white guy instead of a Lebanese man. I was like, okay, sure thing. And uh, I had to do it. What were you thinking using your own lived experience and personal testimony to inform your comedy? Um, well, <laughs> it's just weird that they would tell you like, you, you can't do this. You can't take this thing out of your actual it, real life. Don't do that. It is weird. And, and there's a few things like that. I've, I didn't have the worst experience with them aside from little things like that. I've heard horror stories from friends. I know that have worked with, uh, the ABC. I'll tell you what, from the ABC compared to adult swim uh, on smiling friends, we got like one or two notes from Adult Swim on the the pilot episode, which were actually really good notes, by the way. It was um, to have the blibly stab Alan with the paperclip instead of a little dagger. So <laughs> that was a really good note. It like came back to the paperclip that Alan was talking about that he was missing. Um, when it comes to the ABC, I had about 60 notes on Koala Man that were all things like that uh, thing I mentioned before, the changing of the Lebanese guy. Uh, so, well, look, I, I won't say they weren't all as bad as that. That was probably the worst, but it was, you know, just a lot of notes in general. They, they don't really let you have as much creative freedom as a network like Adult Swim. And that's why I love Adult Swim so much. Now, I want to ask you real quick about the progression here, because I'm sure we have uh, we have a lot of artists, actually, uh, that are patrons of the Create Unknown. And, you know, we talk to all the time, just a lot of incredible artists. And, um, you know, I think probably a lot that we don't even know of that listen to this show and are, and are thinking about doing stuff like you're doing. So just real quick, I'd love to get like the Cliff Notes version of going from uploading to YouTube to Adult Swim show. Now, the progression that I see is uploading to YouTube, then you get the ABC show where you turn Damo and Darren into Koala Man for ABC, and then that launches into Bushworld Adventures on Adult Swim, and then that launches into Smiling Friends and YOLO Crystal Fantasy. Is that right or yeah, what? Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. I mean, you nailed it. That's, that's pretty much my Wikipedia article right there. And uh, I don't think it's going to change that much now. Um, yeah, it's it, it. It was a very very slow burn um, of just sticking to it for a long time. So it started. The, my career, career. It's weird to say that. It just just doing this stuff. But uh, yeah. But what, all this stuff started when I was about nineteen years old. Uh, I was very into things. Uh, what. Well, like Kevin Smith, Richard Lankletter, I was into filmmaking, indie filmmaking, and the common thread that I see, uh, saw with a lot uh, of those guys, like Robert Rodriguez, Kevin Smith, uh, Tarantino, is they just went out and shot their own first feature film with a very limited budget that they often just saved up or got a loan. So that 
inspired me a lot, especially being like a big, I was big into Sam Raimi too, like Evil Dead. Um, so a lot of that amalgamated and got me so passionate and excited to make my first feature film. So I, I worked at Subway, saved up some money. I got a loan from the bank and I got a small budget of like, I think 15 grand Australian, which is God knows, like $10 in America. And I shot this <laughs> film called All, All Night Gaming, which was like kind of like a, a Richard Lankletter, Kevin Smith, like slacker film in Australia. I, the idea was I wanted to make a, a, like a film about teenagers while I was still a teenager and I was 19. But that film dragged on for about five years as they do as independent films often do we're running out of money and all that type of thing uh and that film didn't come out exactly how i wanted it to but it was probably the best film school i could have ever done when it comes to all of this stuff like comp- especially composition uh and even just discipline of like all right we're gonna do like all right shot lists or i get the cast the catering all right tomorrow oh, fuck it's raining we're going to reschedule this shoot to next week. A lot of that stuff, I didn't realize at the time, but it was actually really helpful uh, for what I do now. So that didn't go that well. But after I tried to make that film, uh, I had to go back to like washing dishes to make up for all the money I'd spent. So in que- a state called Queensland here, I was, I was working washing dishes. And I just, while I was there, um, a few things happened. So a cartoon came out called Hot Dog Hustle by a uh, friend of a friend named Tom Hunter. And he was an Australian animator and it, it was on Vimeo and it got like 50,000 views. And I was like, Jesus Christ, man, like that film stuff, that is so, I feel, feel like that's outdated to do today. If you want to get into like independent uh, creative shit or whatever, like it's much better just to sit down and animate something. You don't need to worry about cast. And the great thing was I, I love drawing. I love to, to make comic books. I always did. Like stupid, like because I love like Mad Magazine. I made like comedy comics that were pretty similar to what I do now. It's just like Australian and stupid, like people's heads blowing up, all that shit. Um, and I uh, sat down and I made an animation called Gabe Nullity Three. And the good thing about the time it was like perfect timing because around 2012 was uh, like Eager Raptor was having a big boom. Uh, Chris O'Neill was only in G psychic pebbles. All these guys were having big animation booms around that time. That was also getting me inspired. Uh, and I was like, man, this is exactly what I, it was like, I remember Bill Burr once talked about when he first did stand up, and he just got hit with like, holy fuck, this is exactly what I should be doing. That's so that was the feeling I got when I started animating. And the first cartoon I did actually did all right. You know, Gabe Nord E3 is not the best animation, but for my first one, it got some views, so that was nice. And not long after that, I made YOLO, uh, the short, and that did really well. And that was when I was just being more myself, just Australian uh, satirical stuff. So that's when I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, this is this is good. This is this is nice that this is doing well, opposed to you know all the shit I've done previously that failed. Uh, so that did well. Uh, about two years later, I made a cartoon called Siggy Butt Brain, which was in the same universe, like Australian universe, but it was much more dull. Yola was more Ren and Stimpy, cr- like crazy, just a like a like a blast of energy. While well, well, with Siggy Butt Brain, that was more like uh, like Beavis and Butthead, I guess, or just a more toned down animation where it was more focused on the dialogue. That was me seeing if I could get away with like just 
making it funny with improvisation and comedy writing. That did really well. In fact, I think that did better than YOLO's. So that was a, a weird one. I definitely didn't expect it to. That was came out of nowhere. After that, I got um, the... I think it was Koala Man came around that time. The ABC thing, I can't really remember. It doesn't really... That was more like a job. I didn't feel like I was that into all of that. But the the next big thing that happened was Bushworld Adventures. Justin Roiland reached out and and said, did you want to do this like April Fool's bootleg episode of Rick and Morty? And I was like, uh, yeah, of course. Like, are you kidding me? And he let me do all the voices and the writing and everything. You? He found you through <clears throat> he, YouTube? He, he was a fan of... Um, I, around the time I I made because I made a few sequels to that Siggy Butt Brain animation that I mentioned, which which the series is called Damo and Darren, but it's more known as Siggy Butt Brain. I think after like episode five, the one where Damo and Darren are being uh, stalked by a magpie, which is a bird in Australia that swoops you <laughs> in, yeah. in in like September October when when they're in their breeding season, they'll attack you. Uh, so I think after that one, he reached out and he's like, "Hey man, I like your stuff." Because like, he's the great thing about Justin Roiland is he's still like a cartoon guy. He loves uh, independent creators like uh, like Zach and I and a bunch of other guys that he's he helped a a guy called Brian Weissel get a show on Adult Swim called Hot Street. So he's so he's so good with that stuff. He's really helpful, and it was yeah, it was amazing. He just reached out after that, and Adult Swim must have had the idea to do like a special episode of Rick and Morty around April Fools because it, it was already on his mind. So he. He thought it'd be funny if it was just a full Australian episode, just like a like a bootleg, as if like someone, you know, as if a Rick and Morty had been ripped off for Australian TV. And yeah, I was I was super into that. I could I I felt like I couldn't do it though. I was just like, are you sure, dude? Like I kept saying like, are you sure you don't want to like write it and then I'll do it and like you do the voices? But he's like, no, just do. It. I think the thing with Justin is he just wanted to see. He wanted to have no involvement at all and then just watch it on TV one day, which is what happened. So, uh, yeah, it was a very, a very fun experience. I feel super lucky that that, that happened because it definitely boosted my career. And that led to, um, well, actually, before that, I should say I was already talking to Zach. Zach and I, Zach Hadel, who I co-create Smiling Friends with, we were already like bouncing ideas off each other. And there was stuff in the works around that time as well. Um so that was hap- happening simultaneously. And then, um, yeah, after Bushworld and everything, we got the the green light. Zach and I got the green light to do the Smiling Friends script. Uh, and that around... But the weird part about that is around that time, Adult Swim was also interested in ex- uh, getting more episodes of Bushworld because Bushworld Adventures, the Rick and Morty bootleg, uh, did quite well on YouTube as well. Uh, so. Adult Swim, especially because it was cheap, it was done for such a low budget. They're like, "Oh God, let's let's get this Australian idiot to do more of these." So <laughs> I was into that. You know, I it was hard to turn down more episodes of a show like that. But th- their thing was okay. Instead of making it Rick and Morty, um, change those characters in the show to just your unique, like your own original characters. And I already had the Yolo girls. I thought it would be interesting to have those type of characters contrasted with a very masculine over the top Australian world. So they're our kind of like vessel. Uh, so that's how YOLO crystal fantasy uh, came to fruition. And um, yeah, so that, that all happened kind of before smiling friends in a weird way, like the, the full season, like kind of at the same time, but 
before it. So that that's by the way, that's why Yolo Crystal Fantasy is coming out now and not like a full season of Smiling Friends, I guess. It it did happen before. Uh just just to clear that stuff up stuff up, I guess, because I see a lot of comments asking about that. Um Yeah, and I recently finished Yolo Crystal Fantasy and around that time I did Smiling Friends pilot. We we animated that or a studio Yoda animated that with us. Um, a brilliant studio of a really amazing animators from all over the world. It's a remote studio that obviously led to uh, great success this year in April first when that dropped. With um, Yolo like aired that same day, but Smiling Friends did very very well. Uh, and surprising to us too because we didn't even know Adult Swim were going to air it. I think we only knew like a week before, but yeah, that uh, that blew up in a in a big big way and. Yeah, now we're here. Finished Yolo Crystal Fantasy and uh, on to the next adventures. Do you ever feel guilty knowing that you're enabling a mind like Zach Hadel's? Do you feel bad? Uh, <laughs> no, for, not, a, <laughs> for not at all. I, I feel like uh, it, it's almost, it, it's like uh, a thing that someone has to do. Uh, Zach's one of the, funniest if not the funniest people in the world and uh he's also a great animator he's he's an amazing package and it just even back in like 2011 12 like it's amazing to me that he already didn't he should have been swooped up very early and gotten a tv show i agree and not just it's not long just that a lot of those people chris yeah like uh like aaron uh, uh all the all the because i you know i was very inspired by those animators so mm-hmm um it's always amazing to me to see that they you know th- but they've all they've got their own thing it's you know tv's not the tv's not the um the holy grail or anything that's not like it's not like you get there and it's like all right i made it i'm an actually i'm actually a real person now you know like chris has only plays that's super successful uh aaron's got and he's game making grumps. a video game he's making a video game yeah, that exactly. looks awesome yeah yeah and it looks really good something very beneficial you've got to remember too when you work with these, because I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm not really, I'm more like the TV. I love this world and I, I love navigating it a lot. So I love like trying to EP on other people's projects and uh, get that up and going. I love, I love seeing people that deserve a TV show getting a TV show. And um, but there's a, there's pros and cons to this too because if you do sell a TV show, ninety nine percent of the time, especially when you don't have that much clout or leverage. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna lose the ownership to that IP, so you're actually gonna sell that concept to a network that will own it now and get uh, the majority of the merch sales and uh, like licensing and just the money in general. It's gonna be funneled all to the network. That's gonna be siphoned away from you. So if you're someone like a, a Chris O'Neill and you've got Only Plays. You can build that up over years and then start, you know, he could start doing like a side animation thing, which, you know, there's already the only plays animations, but let's just say that Chris also made like Leo and Satan started to be like an only plays branded thing. And he's got an audience for that. He, that is so like financially opposed to all this TV stuff, so much benefit when you actually own it all. So there's, there's a split, right? Like you, you, there's some, you do have to make a lot of um, compromises when you when you're working with a network, you know. It's um, but it's it's good, you know. Zach and I, I'm pretty I sure think it's, ve- th- it's. Sorry, what were you gonna say? 
I'm pretty sure this is famously why Beavis and Butthead stopped and why Mike Judge left MTV and went to Fox and created King of the Hill was because Beavis really? and Butthead was this tremendous success and Mike Judge benefited like nearly zero from its success. And so Fox like showed up to his door with like a Brinks truck full of money and was like, hey, Mike Judge, you're a genius. Make a show for us and we'll actually yeah. compensate you for it. And he did. Yeah, and that was yeah. King of the Hill. It's, I mean, it's all, it's always hard to... I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Uh, and it makes sense because it is hard to... You know, you, you do get a little bit corrupted by the money aspect. The only times you get corrupted is when you feel like you're being fucked, when you feel like you're being screwed over, especially when you're making someone rich uh, and it, the balance doesn't fit, feel fair. It's always good when you can, but the good thing is with TV shows, you can renegotiate your contract after seasons, but a lot of the time you're actually locked in for a lot of episodes before you can renegotiate. So that's an issue as well. But yeah, uh, what I do is when I get like a little bit, you know, I feel like a lot of people feel like they're being fucked over in deals or like relationships and all that type of thing. A lot of the time you've just got to step back and realize, Jesus Christ, like I'm so damn lucky to be doing this in the first place. So a lot of the time I'll uh, I'll go with the flow with that and have plans afterwards. I I will learn from bad experiences if I ever get fucked over any in anything. I think it's uh, by the way, to real. Go ahead. I, I got distracted for two seconds. I just have to say this; it's totally unrelated. But I, I was wondering why why base weight wasn't in here. He, he uh, yeah, he, he just tweeted that he, he thinks there's a meth lab in his downstairs neighbor's apartment and uh, has shot us a message in the baby gang saying <laughs> uh, that. What? Uh, what? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's dealing with a suspected meth lab. So yeah, uh, it just, it seemed too weird not to mention. Oh my God. <laughs> we should oh just, that, just make yeah. the podcast about that. <laughs> yeah so yeah ba base weight is one of our patrons and part of the baby gang so that's why him being not here is a big deal and apparently he has bigger fish to fry living yeah, out his own episode of uh breaking bad yeah, <laughs> yeah he's moment. dealing with the breaking yeah. bad episode right now he's about to be shot by hank hill uh <laughs> kicking in his door so r.i.p our thoughts are with him for sure but yeah, the chat lit up and I was like, you know, cause I, I try to see what, what people are saying, like in the episode chat and whatever. I'm like, why is somebody saying anything in the baby gang chat? Why aren't they all here? And I look at it. I was like, oh, well, this is the normal Wednesday night meth lab suspicion. So here we are. <laughs> Interesting. They're very weird. Uh, yeah. My, my thoughts and prayers are definitely with base weed. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Base weed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm glad, Matt, that you brought up uh, Psychic Pebbles. We, Matt and I love Zach. Uh, we just adore <laughs> talking to him. He is one of our favorite people on this planet. And I've been wondering, and I've been so excited to ask you, Michael, what it is in your mind that you do uniquely from Zach, you know, as it relates to, you know, smiling friends. So what is it that you do uniquely from Zach that you bring to the table in that partnership and that he does uniquely from you that he brings to, you know, the, the craziness that is smiling friends? 
So that's yeah, I think about that a lot too. What 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 we both bring and we get into a weird mindset when we make smiling friends, especially the pilot. We uh you know, we just we just went to our agent's apartment and got uh it sounds so lame, but we did get like super high when we wrote. We don't usually uh <laughs> we, we often we're, we're very sober and professional, but uh for that we were um, we got pretty high and wrote the the script and it's whatever we, we just try to make each other laugh. Uh, and that could be anything. And Zach and I are both very similar uh, when it comes to a lot of our interests. So we can, we know how to get each other. Um, we know how to 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 really like pinpoint on something that we know the other one's going to laugh at. We're big um, history nerds, political uh, nerds. Like we love we love the world. I guess it went like uh, with facts and all that type of stuff. So um, we we try to bring a lot of that into the show, um, and Zach Zach really specialized. Zach's one of the best, as as well as being one of the funniest people in the world. He's also one of the best animators. So I could have never even we we ping pong back and forth like character designs. So what you see in Smiling Friends is not quite Zach's style and not quite mine. It's like this mix. Um, what I, I was really happy about, and I, I wanted to push for this, is at least it's like you're ping ponging it back and forth, but at least the final product has this final gloss. And Pim, Charlie, Glip, and Allen have a Zach filter on it. That is pure Zach. I could never in a million years draw Charlie. Like that to me, that's like a perfect, like I could now, but I mean, come up with that, that perfect drawing. It's so aesthetically pleasing. Uh, same with Pim, you know, we, we did go back and forth on the designs, you know, like I drew the face that I always draw the Ted face and Zach kind of like blended that into, um, like what it is now. Uh, but also, you know, like, um, Zach will have just his pure drawings, which is like Desmond. That's a pure Zach drawing, but I'll have my drawings. that is just me, like the guy at the party that smokes the vape and blows it in Pim's face. I was going to uh, say just, that. Uh, that character that's is 100% me. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, the background characters there, uh, I drew. Um, it's hard to say what we, we... We both try to make it very 50-50. I definitely make sure that the main characters have that Zach filter but um when you really get down to the nitty-gritty of it um it's hard because you could say like oh uh zach's the animation guy and i'm the writing guy but it's not as simple as that because zach's an amazing writer too um and i also love animation so like you know i am i like the bliblies and other stuff like that um i'm definitely not as good as zach when it comes to animation though but yeah it's this weird mix where we just um we become like a two-headed beast, I guess, while we make this stuff. His characters do have that kind of almost vinyl doll or like plush doll mm-hmm. quality to them that is really recognizable. Whereas yours, I would say, are just so grotesque um, and like yeah. like it's, uniquely it's that- hideous. You don't want to. You don't want to hug your characters, but you you do want to hug some of Zach's characters. They're cute in their kind of deformities. Yeah, it, that came from because as well as doing like the the Siggy Butt Brain 
like detailed drawings I did of like gross Australian people. I'd also draw these like little colorful alien characters, and I've done that for a long time, forever. I, I saw that like back in my like shitty comics too back in the day. I don't know what they're like. Um, I draw like a lot of like alligator, like crocodile looking things and like colorful shapes. And you can see that on my YouTube channel, Fluzak too, where it's just like spam characters. Zach gravitated towards that. But the brilliant thing about the combination was, like you say, he can turn that kind of style uh, into a much more palatable thing, much more, uh, like you say, like a Funko Pop on model. It It just surprises me so much how, like we we actually both look at Pim like a character like Pim and we're just like how that like where'd that come from it's 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 weird to think that no one ever drew that before it just makes so much sense I know that's mm-hmm. uh, it sounds like oh full of ourselves to say that like oh how brilliant is this character but we really do look at Pim like we're looking at like some like SpongeBob or something it's like what, how but not in a like oh we're so brilliant it's like how'd that happen where'd that come from like of course Pim and Charlie of course it feels like they. They've always existed as a duo, so it's um it's a really <laughs> yeah. weird thing where we can um you know I I do my stuff separately and I still love doing Australian stuff. Zach is also does his thing. He's a brilliant uh, comedian, uh, illustrator, uh, all that type of stuff. But when we come together, we get really inspired by something. We always we always the weird thing about Zach and I is we're never we can get into a call. And come up with a whole episode like we never run out of steam we're always into this we can always make each other laugh it doesn't feel like there's any it, there's not a, that not much at least like downtime or dead time or or uh times when we, we feel like we've got writer's block it usually the interesting thing is because we're both like i was saying the reason i said we're both interested in like history and politics and all that type of stuff is a lot of that time um, cause we're not, or at least me, no, both of us, we're not like always thinking about cartoons when we're not doing smiling friends we'll be, you know, like interested in a new thing. Like for instance, like just as a bad example, um, I'm like very interested in like cameras now and like lenses and photography. Um, Z- Zach's, you know, he's, he'll be on some kind of, uh, thing where he's interested in the, in the historical topic. You know, and then like me, like I'll be interested in like Napoleon for a while. I'll be reading up on books like that. And then we'll come together and bring our interests to the table, but more in a way that's not even like planned. You know, it's not like, all right, I've been researching this lately and let's put this into Smiling Friends. And it's like, okay, let's do It's just, we'll just make each other laugh. We'll just joke about it because it's on our minds at the time. And then I'll just be like, oh, that should be an episode. That should go into an episode, you know, like uh, whatever you're interested in the time. Let's do that. Yeah. So it's I, I, very organic. I, I, need, I need Matt. I need you to talk about this because what you're describing, Michael, is like Matt's entire manifesto for success. <laughs> and you don't even realize yeah. it. This is yeah. like everything oh, wait, Matt has thing, been working do. on. It's, it's it's amazing. This yeah. is the strange thing with Zach and I is we actually are self-aware about it, too. We can we can compartmentalize our minds. So. The thing is, like, we know how duos break up. We know that we we know history. We I know a lot about the Beatles and John Lennon and Paul McCartney and why that duo, uh, you know, after a while was fragmented and and they ended up hating each other. I know exactly the psychological reasons why that happened, so I can offset it. I can know. Okay, this is don't do this. 
don't do that, don't do that. For instance, like because Zach had the final sheen on Smiling Friends and he's much more popular than me, uh, and he didn't get hellbenders, I knew that Zach's name should come first in our duo. I knew that this is it's we are still fifty fifty and we're a fifty fifty duo, but this is it's so it's almost like how Larry and da- uh, Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld worked on a show called Seinfeld. You know, this is like Michael Cusack and Zach Hadle working on a show called Zach Hadle. In a way, you know that that's you almost have to have someone that's a little bit more of the star. And I, in my mind, Zach's a little bit more of the star, and I'm completely, absolutely fine with that. And I love facilitating him and bringing whatever I can to the table. So you're saying that you're the Garfunkel to to his Simon? I, yeah, yeah, and uh, pro- <laughs> Garfunkel is the—is he the curly hair one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's the tall, yeah. lanky, curly-haired one. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's me—the one that's like lost his voice. He can't sing at all. Yeah, he's a—that's uh, <laughs> totally. I'm the I'm the the Garfunkel of animation. <laughs> Everything you described, though, you know, Kevin brought this up that we've been thinking about it for for years at this point. Um, we wrote when we, sh- when we ship packages out to, uh, to the patrons, uh, I, I wrote a thing up that, that, uh, touched on the themes that Kevin and I have been thinking about where it is having many different interests and you have no idea when it's going to be useful, when it's going to actually make you money. Uh, one example that like, this is really boring. I went to an exhibit of industrial design in 2002 and ended up looking at train cars in Wisconsin. Uh, I thought I was killing some time. I didn't think much of it. 15 years later, uh, I, I found a guy who, who needed some marketing help on a project involving trains. And I was the only one who, who, uh, you know, who shot their shot, uh, who, had a sense of what trains were like in the 1950s. Well, I, I made money off that goofy museum visit 15 years later. That's really yep. cool. And I helped him. Yep. Um, but you never know. And you mentioned, you know, Zach thinking about this when we were done recording uh, with him before um, Kevin had to bounce out. And, uh, and I was talking about uh, an idea that, that Kevin and I had that had its root in uh, in an old economics paper. Well, I mentioned that and, and Zach just went nuts. Like he, he rattled off, uh, serious economics knowledge, citing, you know, different authors and, and books, uh, from, you know, things in the, in the last 25, 50 years. And I just sat there. And I'm like, this is, this is amazing. Like you could tell that he'd gone down a rabbit hole at some point in time and you don't watch something, uh, like smiling friends and think, well, this guy has a high, high level of economics knowledge, but <laughs> that's exactly the way it works. And, and that like, uh, that depth on so many different things seems to show up in making little tiny bits of comedy funny. Yes, it's uh it's exactly our formula and we know it very well. It's um cuz you'll see a lot of cartoons or movies or any uh, uh media that you can tell the creators are getting a lot of their inspiration just from other movies or other stuff in that same field. That's fine too. Obviously Tarantino's made a whole career out of that. But Zach and I are just went born uh 
nerds, I guess. We're very interested in a lot of different subjects. Um, and it's what we sink most of our time into separately as well. And a lot of the time, the the great thing about Zach and I too is uh, it seems like a lot of the time we'll both get into something uh, separately, like the same, we'll get into the same thing separately. So we'll come, like, uh, we'll be like, oh, did you see that video? Like, did you, have you been, uh, like, blah, 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 like, uh, or Ronald Reagan videos from the 80s or something. It's like, oh, I just watched that yesterday. Like, what a strange coincidence. Like, I was watching the same video. That happens a lot in our discussions. So it just seems like we're on the same wavelength a lot of the time. And it, it just it's like a lubricant for for ideas and writing because we're both like yeah i know exactly what you mean and we both actually visualize the show exactly how it is so there's very rarely any conflict of of opinion on how something should be it's like no yeah that's exactly how it's in my mind as well uh so it yeah it, it's it's a lot of um i don't know what it is really when i really analyze it it's actually a bit weird how well it works do you think that you could engineer that or do you think uh, it just happens naturally? Like you no, crossed I, paths I, with Zach I don't and think it so. matched up. I don't think you can make it work organic. Uh, sorry, uh, you can't, you can, um, exactly what you said. Sorry, I'm too stupid to remember the exact word you said. But yeah, you can't engineer that. Um, you can get kind of close and definitely in bus- business relationships, you can, you can make a lot of advancements from just that because you could both got a common interest of making some money. Uh, but Zach and I are like best friends too. We not only do we do like smiling friends varieties calls, we'll, we'll also do just do calls where we're talking to each other and it's got nothing to do with smiling friends. So, uh, I mean, I don't know if you can, um, you can engineer that. It feels like it just happens naturally. I think it was many kudos who asked in, in the chat, but, but I want to throw this in now, even though it's, it's a question, but how did, how did this love blossom? What is the genesis of the bromance? (laughs) I, I would say it's just an interest in, because we both, I know I did. I grew up loving Matt Stone and Trey Parker and, and Paul McCartney and John Lennon duos. I loved Monty Python as well. I loved group groups of people that all had a common goal in in comedy or art. And uh, a lot of the time, I was a bit of a lone wolf. If I was very interested in the subject, not many of my friends would be interested in it at the same time, uh, which is natural. You know, that happens all the time. That still happens. Um, and uh, when I met Zach, there was a weird thing where it was like, oh, you're also into, like, South Park. You're also into, like, these weird, like, autistic subjects and topics as well you grew up this like liking the same stuff i did you're an animator you're also like funny like love comedy that type of thing it, it's it was just to be honest it was just when we met we just realized we had like a lot of similar interests so that's always that always works well in a in a duo or a friendship of any type and then we both have uh similar goals when it comes to what we want to get out of all this animation stuff When when we had Zach on, I brought up how he reused an old joke of his in the Smiling Friends pilot. Um, so he reused the uh, 
<laughs> the breast, the, I can't even. I, I can't even. I can't even bring it up, and Matt loses it. It's the funniest thing in the world. It's literally the funniest thing in the world to Matt is the, the because because I bit you, uh, uh, bit the the the, the breastfeeding bit of the the creepy baby. Um, you know, he had done that previously and then used it in the pilot. Uh, the reason I bring this up is that I noticed you use reusing one of your bits in YOLO, which is in, um, in Damo and Darren episode two, uh, spoiler alert for those who haven't watched that episode. Um, there is like a gruesome leg breaking scene where like a, a femur is just like sticking out and that's part of like the punchline. And I noticed in, uh, YOLO Crystal Fantasy episode two, the kangaroo has a gruesome accident and the leg bone is sticking out. I just yeah. thought it was so funny. I was like, man, Michael loves leg bone in injuries, yeah. like gruesome broken legs. It's hilarious my, to Michael. One of my first characters. And I just started from, laughing at that. When I was about six years old, I had a character, because I used to love Crash Bandicoot as a kid. I had a character that was based on like uh, Dr. Cortex from that. Uh, he just looks exactly like him, but his thing was his bones would always crack. So I I had him like running around in my comics. I was, I was making this when I was like six. It was called Mystery Men. Uh, and it was like him and his sidekick. And uh, I, I'd draw him and uh, little brackets around him where it said crack, crack, crack. So every time he walked, he was like, his bones are breaking. And he's like, ah, oh, I'm always in pain. It was like, this thing where he's always suffering. I've always, I don't know why, I've always had a fucking uh, satisfaction with, uh, a, sorry, a fascination with, with bones breaking. And yeah, it must, it must be some type of fetish if it's lasted this long. <laughs> you don't know the genesis of that? Like the, you didn't witness some horrific compound fracture? And, and, and I used to be terrified, that in your mind? terrified of bro- breaking a bone. Uh, the concept of it to me was the the scariest thing in the world. Uh, so that must have something to do with it. I just remember I'd see people with casts. If someone had a cast at school, I'd I'd, I'd be like, "Oh, please don't let that happen to me." It, it was it scared me a lot. <laughs> and have you all broken right. one at all? Or, or no, no, I, man- I managed not to. I managed to get this far and not break a single bone. So I just I just put it into <laughs> cartoons instead now. It's why you went into animation. Just, yeah. just stay just to be safe. at your desk just to get and draw. Away from the world. Can't break. Your- <laughs> you <laughs> exactly. can't break any bones drawing. Just, just crippled by um, fear. Just had to go into a room and and animate all day. There are a couple of more questions that I need you to answer before we turn our, over uh, to our patrons and get to their questions. Um. One is a quick one, and I noticed that you love drawing your characters at really unflattering angles. Where did that come from? Because I don't remember seeing anybody, and maybe I'm wrong, I haven't watched every cartoon that's ever been created, but I don't remember somebody utilizing like unflattering angles the way that you do. I think it's because I came from a more filmmaking background uh, with more dynamic angles. I didn't I never really like if you can't tell I'm not the greatest uh animator. I'm not the greatest like uh good-looking animator. I could never like I say draw something as aesthetically mathematically pleasing as a Charlie design. So I come from more the storyboarding uh 
world. And I love like low angle, like low angles and high angles and different type of angles. So um, you'll find a lot of my cartoons, animations are never on model. It's more, it's more just following. I always, if I'm doing solo, like if it's not smiling friends, if it's just a solo thing, like Bushward or YOLO, I like to storyboard it and treat it like it's like a film, like a live action film. Uh, and then, you know, the animation is just you animating over the storyboards. So it has this, this look to it that uh, I, I, I'm trying to make stand out, I guess, amongst other stuff. Uh, and that it, even some of that is in Smiling Friends. Uh, like the sequence with Alan um, in, in like the, a lot of the stuff where he's in the walls, I storyboarded. And that has like different type of angles. And and uh, you know you can you can see characters from different, like you say, unflattering uh, perspectives. Yeah, I don't know. It seemed to just like I say happen naturally from more of a uh, filmmaking storyboarding background, where you're not seeing the character purely front on all the time, or like the sitcom camera where they're always on model, which is still great. I love that, uh, but I just have a different approach to it, I guess. Yeah, it's almost cinematic in a way where if the director like hated the actors and just wanted them to look as ugly as possible, <laughs> then they would, yeah. you know, have a shot that's that's low angle shooting up and making it look like their neck mm. filled the entire screen and the entire frame because it was so like hideous. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, also, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Sorry. I also need to ask you before I forget about the neck beard character in episode yes. one. <laughs> Because I lost it. I lost it at that character because it's such a trope online and has been for years. This mm. like, like doffing the fedora m'lady character. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I've never seen it in a show. And I, and I didn't realize I never saw it in a show until that character showed up. Wearing what, like a Tamagotchi necklace or something? Yeah. Uh, in yes. in episode one, in the pilot of Yolo Crystal Fantasy. So I just yes. need to know everything about that character. I don't know his name. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to come back. If he's going to be like continually stalking Sarah or what. But I just need you to tell me everything you know about that character. I can tell you a lot about that character. His name is Lucas the Magnificent. And around 2014, <laughs> when I was getting into, uh, I was really into Sasha Baron Cohen at the time. I was on a big Sasha Baron Cohen kick and I, I wanted to do like a character. So I came up with this character called Lucas the Magnificent and I, I grew a really like shitty neck beard. I can't grow a good beard. So uh, <laughs> I grew out my, um, my beard and I shaved my mustache. So I had this, this gross kind of uh, like uh, beard. And I, I bought a fedora off eBay for like a dollar and got some reading glasses. <laughs> and I made this character called Lucas the Magnificent. I, and you can find him on Twitter at Lucas the Magnif. And the whole idea with him was just to <laughs> um, just tweet the worst, most like abhorrent kind of uh, neckbeard tweets. He's just he's like this gamer that lives with his um, his mum, and he's like 23 and he's super into like Zelda and like like uh, uh, video games, like Let's Plays like that. That type of thing. And uh, I was making him tweet a lot of Game Grumps at the time. Like, oh, please let me, please let me be a, a, a member on Game Grumps. I'll do anything. I'll do anything to be on Game Grumps. <laughs> so it was like that type of stuff. I remember like uh, doing that a lot. 
Uh, it was just like supposed to be a satirical character. I took a lot of pictures of myself with like daggers and like Nintendo 64 games and was like, you know, you can find it all on Lucas the Magnificent's Twitter. But the great, the funny thing about that was the girlfriend I was living it with at the time really hated it. Like she fucking hated that I was doing this. Like she was, she refused to go outside with me because I still had the because I did this over like a week or two where I was like getting all the pictures of me because I wanted to get like a million pictures so I could just save them up over like a year and release them over time. So I didn't always have to keep this beard. But even just like a week or two was too much for her. She refused to go outside with me like we we're gonna go to Woolworths for a grocery uh, shop once and she was like I'm not going out with you like that I was like what do you mean she's like I'm not go- I'm not- I will not be seen dead with you with that fucking neck beard it's like oh but it's for my it's for my character she's like I don't give a fuck about your character so yeah I was uh I was a bit of a loner on trying to do that one uh but the funny part about that Lucas the Magnificent is it actually got the attention of Zach Zach saw Lucas the Magnificent's tweets because I, I, as Michael Cusack, must have retweeted one of his and he was already following me because, you know, we're animation peers at the time. We weren't talking that much at all. But I I retweeted Lucas the Magnificent's tweet and Zach saw him and started being like, oh, this guy's real. Like, and no fault of Zach because I think, like, the whole point of Lucas the Magnificent was to try and make him as realistic as possible. So no one thought he was fake. and I remember Zach messaged me and was like, oh, have you seen this Lucas the Magnificent guy? And I was like, yeah, yeah, he seems like a bit of a, a bit of a neck, nerd neckbeard. Like, we just talked about Lucas very briefly. And, uh, like, I just wanted to see how long I could keep it up for. I just want to see how long, like, I could do it. Because no one knew my face as Michael Cusack. So I was like, oh, I want to see if I can, this character can just, like, live for a while and no one can guess it's me. But after a while... People figured it out, you know, like there was an article like, is Lucas the Magnificent Michael Cusack? And then I'd get some tweets as Lucas the Magnificent where it's like, oh, you're obviously him. So it got found out and I don't really keep it a secret now, but I still use that account every now and again if I want to do some Lucas tweets. But uh, sorry, I got so off track on the on the or- the deep lore of the origin of Lucas the Magnificent. But uh, <laughs> that then uh, transitioned into YOLO because at the uh, around like... Two years after Lucas's birth, I was trying to figure out how to put him into some type of TV show that I was trying to develop. I was always just trying to develop projects like that. And he jumped from a few until he finally landed uh, in Yola Crystal Fantasy as the Australian neckbeard that kind of just shows up every now and again. But he's also in um, in Smiling Friends on Glep's iPad, if you look close, when Alan says, Glep, did you take a paper clip? Like, he turns around to Glep. Um, you can see Lucas the Magnificent uh, is on oh. the iPad. That's me actually doing a, a video uh, when I was living with my girlfriend, when I, I had to do like videos like outside or when she was at work. So she went, she fucking hated it. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it, was all, it was all for the art. That's when you know it's good. Yeah. You have to, you have to seclude yourself and, if your and girlfriend's like, pissed off at anything you're doing in I hiding. Think, yeah. I think you're on the right track. So yeah, never, never let that <laughs> shit uh, make you not do something for sure. 
I I don't want to let I don't want to let pass that I'm uh like some kind of um Uber Chad like making fun of neckbeards. It needs to be understood that like I'm currently in the process of collecting PS1 RPG strategy guides. So I'm basically Lucas the Magnificent and maybe that's why I love that that character well, so, so much. Am, so the, the am one, I. There's you know, a like, one degree the, the, of yeah. separate. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, that's what I figured. It's, it's yeah, like comes yeah. from a place of endearment. It is endearment. You can't make fun of something that you hate. It doesn't come off well. It's very, uh, it's very obvious when someone's doing an impression of someone and they hate them because there's a lot of like, it's like when you're making fun of a teacher, you're like, I'm the, I'm the stupid fucking teacher. No, 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 I suck. I'm, I'm fat. <laughs> I smell. Uh, that's not nuanced at all. And it's just obvious you've got hatred for that person. Uh, so at the time, like I had Nintendo 64 games that I was collecting. Uh, I was getting for some. I was the funny thing is, I was list. I was listening to a lot of let's plays at the time. I was listening to Game Grumps and all that stuff, like while I worked. So, um, and that's what you know. Lucas was into like let's plays and everything. So it it wasn't like a oh let's make fun of the the stupid archetype. It is like what you say. It's a, it's it's I guess making fun of aspects of yourself while it's also like endearment, but also you know like like satire i guess so yeah it's it's a mix of a lot of stuff when you're when you're making fun of anything really where do you think the blades come from because you you mentioned that you were like <laughs> taking pictures with knives and and that's one thing i can't relate to but is part of that trope where it's like you know instead of going to the party i studied the blade <laughs> dude i just i just always thought it was like they're like posing with the katana see. yeah dude like People that collect knives, like it's it, that was something I just never understood. I especially in in Australia, you'd see a lot of like just pictures of people taking like putting knives on their bed and taking pictures of them, like these extravagant <laughs> like like elf knives and all this expensive stuff. Like, oh yeah, this is my fucking <laughs> knife collection. I, I would always just be like, oh yeah, that's cool, man. Like I, that was something the, I never understood. The ninja so, store, yeah, the ninja store at the mall. <laughs> I, dude, I, I just Where remember they had like, all the weird blades. It, it's the weird blade, like yes, exactly, like that. What you see in South Park. I had a guy that would go to those kind of malls, and he talked to me about it and be like, "Oh, you, hey, Kusha, guess what I fucking got?" I'm like, "Oh, what?" Like I'd be over his house, and he'd br <laughs> he'd bring out like a katana and be like, "Yep, classic katana, like <laughs> like what they would actually use." And I just had no interest, so it's just funny to me. Like it's just like. Okay, sweet man. He's like, oh, do you want to see something else cool? And then he just bring out like an army dagger and be like, yep, fucking fifty dollar dagger. You could fucking slice any anyone out with this fucking thing. And it's it, like I just daggers and like weapons. It's, it's always something to me where it was like, cool man. Like, I, what do you want me to say? Like, what are you gonna use them? Like, what the fuck are you doing with all this shit? Like, it's very, it's, it's an interesting uh, interest though. Um, it's something to. I guess it's, it's not bad to be interested in something. It's unique. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mall, mall ninjas. By the way, thank you to Tom Videoger, who is uh, uh, one of your countrymen there. He's, he's every time we mention anything in this conversation within seven seconds, Tom has the link in the chat or a screenshot of the thing. It's, it's a freakish ability. Like he's, he's like, quick. He, he may as well just work for you at this point. 
It's part it's of the amazing show. though. Like everything that comes up just by the time I can <laughs> click the episode chat, it's already there. I'm like, this is a complete full service experience. It's amazing. Yeah, studied the blade is there. <laughs> I love that meme. It's so <laughs> funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's good. <laughs> uh, okay, so now I want to get you in trouble, okay, real quick. Be- sure. be- before we get to our uh <clears throat> our chat questions, I want to get you in trouble. And and here's how I'm going to get you in trouble. I love getting in trouble. Uh I want to know from you why 98% of the animations that I see look exactly the same right now and they all look like <laughs> they look like what you did hilariously knocking off Rick and Morty. It's like all of these animations that I see on all different networks and streaming devices or whatever have this second rate Rick and Morty look to it. And I want to know why? Like, is it just because Rick and Morty is so popular that it that they, these are like this is like the candle box to Nirvana, sort of like <laughs> lesser version of a scene? Or is it cheaper to just crank out cartoons that way with some Rick and Morty like animation creator three thousand software? What's going on there? In your in your estimation, I, I wrestle with that a lot too because I have the same feelings when I look at a lot of uh, animated TV shows, and that seems to be a, a a thing that never ceases to surprise me of of how similar everything looks and um how like it, it just like in Smiling Friends we took risks and it worked really well, but if a network an executive looks at that they would have no idea why it worked well, <clears throat> so. When they and the same with Rick, and, I should probably use Rick and Morty as, as an example more because it's what you're talking about. Like a lot of shows, like it's it happened with Family Guy. Uh, when Family got really big, this you'd, you'd even saw it in The Simpsons. They started to make more Family Guy esque jokes. You could tell they were getting a little bit insecure about the traditional Simpsons format. So when anything blows up and com- and is unique and subversive and catches uh, an, an audience. And, and the reason that happens is a whole plethora of things. It's not, and that's the reason it's so hard to actually, um, to, you know, to replicate is because it's not just one single thing. It's got to do with, um, you know, the climate at the time, what the, you know, the unique history of the creator, a million other things. So Family Guy, Rick and Morty, all these shows came out of nowhere. And you'll see these clones afterwards simply because when a, a network or an executive looks at it, they're like, oh, okay, the reason this was successful is because of uh, one, two, three, like blah, 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 like Rick and Morty because of the style, uh, because uh, Rick says fuck all the time, and because, uh, I don't know, like Morty uh, has sex with a sex bot. Like, that's so cool. We'll put that, all, all those three things into this new TV show. When they're, they're missing so many nuances, and first of all, you shouldn't be looking at a TV show and saying, all right, that was successful, so I'm going to, try to do the exact same thing you can be inspired by things but you shouldn't be trying to capitalize off anything it's very obvious when you do it you should be confident in your own unique style which is a very hard thing to build up uh but it's it's doable you usually have a gut instinct i find you know if you're if you're going is this a little bit too much like rick and morty it probably is a little bit too much like rick and morty and that's fine that's good. You've just got to navigate it. And 
if you can come up with something that's uniquely uh, original, but it still is inspired by a bunch of stuff that you're inspired by. But I say the most important thing is it's not just inspired by art and media. It's also inspired by like your interests. Like you as a, you're a unique person. You're going to have interests or just personality traits that are different from the next person. You're going to be different from Justin Roiland and Dan and me and Zach and in some way. So try to capitalize it, that figure out what it is probably is some, you know, like as you know, lame soul searching, all that type of thing. And a lot of trial and error, you know, like, you got to remember too, when I was Zach, both Zach, everyone, you know, when we're making cartoons, when we're very young, you know, the, the cartoon, the comics and cartoons I used to make looked exactly like South Park. Cause I was so into South Park. I was super into South Park. So I was like, oh, that's all I know. You know, executives are not that different because executives and all these networks that greenlight all these shows that look like Rick and Morty, they've got that same mindset. They're just like, I like that, so I want to see it again. So it just takes a lot of time to build a style, I guess, something that is unique enough to stand out from all of that type of stuff. I have a question that's... It's really big, so big that it's almost unfair to ask. I've been, I was talking to Kevin about it earlier today about uh, animation and general drawing things and how anytime somebody posts on, on Twitter that they want something done, uh, it, there's this explosion of, of people trying to, trying to get this little gig and like Kevin said, it's all really similar. Uh, it's all incredibly cheap. I know Trev, uh, who's who's in the baby gang. He you know posted a thing just asking about art the other day, and he had like within within an hour. I, I don't know how many how many comments it was from people who just had like search terms set up for you know the word commissions open or something like mm. that. Um, how? I mean, it, it's nuts. I, I can't even fathom this. How can people make it? Because I look at this and it's like, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll draw this for 17 cents. And if it's full body, it'll be 28 cents. Uh, and I'm just looking at it thinking, who is pulling a career out of this? Is it possible mm. in 2020? I don't know. Cause I come from such a different background. I never thought I was going to be, I mean, I would have loved to, if I, was told I was going to be working on these TV shows when I was a kid. I would have loved that idea, but I would have thought it was like it would be like saying, "Oh, you're going to go to Mars one day." It's like, what? What are you talking? Like, I, you'd have no. I, I had no aspirations to do that as a kid, just because I thought it was impossible. So, what I would do, and like, I, I'm I'm trying to just make this relevant to your question because I know it's a it's a weird answer, but it's it's just. Be really interested in something like if you're really you want to make a film, just make a film or if you want to make a cartoon, do it. But also don't I think it's a benefit to not get stuck and think I need to do I need to be a I'm working on Steven Universe. Like, please, like uh, this. This is the thing I need to do. Otherwise, I'm fucked. I, I mean, nothing. This is my identity. This is the identity I built in my brain for myself because all my friends are storyboard artists and and uh, they work on uh, Steven Universe. Like having that uh goal is great but it can also um blind you to what you really want to do so it's it's a benefit to like the the point is it's a benefit to move around and and shape yourself like my film 
like failed so i I got into animation uh and then i got bored of doing that so i tried different styles you know like you'd you move around and you kind of develop new skills and then also take a break from animation and and you know read up on a new subject like get into get interested in different things in life and if you're narrowed into one thing um one objective that's a good thing i don't want to say it's bad because it's definitely great to have focus but it can also rot you away um especially like on twitter too man like uh i see i see i know exactly what you're talking about like i don't know how these people make careers out of this it all just blends into one that whole market feels very oversaturated and that's why everything looks the same i'll say this if you're getting sick of that if you're getting sick of that environment it's making you depressed and you feel like other people are better animators than you you feel like uh you're just you're just in a sea of like so much competition just take a step back and like hug your mum or something or like get into like french cinema or like go on a hike get go on a vacation with your friends see your friends more uh get into a different whole different type of art form it'll 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 be good for your soul um yeah i don't know if that answers your question but i feel like it's something that what you're saying i think about that a lot and that's what i try to do when i get stuck in those modes it's not a realm that I'm in personally. I am the anti-artist, right? So when I see it, I look at this and I just think, my God, this is a dismal, dismal landscape. And I'm so, I'm so glad that I don't do these things because I don't know how I would exist in this world. I was in writing and there's a point at which writing online, the, the pay per word just, oh God, it, it, it just got obliterated. The slide was horrible. You know, when I was in, when I was in college, it was still the era where it's like, Oh, if you want to be a writer, you can submit things to magazines and you're going to get, uh, you know, maybe you can get about a dollar a word on a good feature. And you look at it and think, yeah, I can write a 2000 word feature and, uh, pay the rent that month. And that was a cool thing to aspire to now. Like it's not uncommon to get to do uh, content for a website and get one cent a word. Yeah. You know, 500 word yeah. article gets you five, six dollars. Yeah. And it, that's shifted so much. And it, it looks like a similar thing with, uh, with drawing and animation. And I, I just look at that and knowing the time that it takes you guys to do any of those things, uh, seeing the, the, the pennies that are coming in for a lot of these uh, people aspiring to it. Uh, it, it, oh, it's grim. It's really grim. It is and grim. I didn't it is know grim. If yeah. uh, there was more hope than I was seeing. Well, it's exactly why people like Zach and I and a lot of those YouTube animators got disenfranchised for making YouTube animations because the AdSense just got obliterated. So any stable career making uh, the odd like once a month or once every two months animations from YouTube was completely just you couldn't you couldn't live off that. And there was a time where you could, uh, around that that boom, 2012, 2014 era, was a great time for living off viral animated videos. And the competition wasn't, you know, there wasn't that many people doing it too, which was great. Now, it's such a different landscape that I, I don't even feel like I, I can comment on it because I look at, I, I mean, it just feels like there's so many more animators, so many more artists, especially on Twitter, which it's just man, it's just a fucking cesspool. I, I would love to delete my Twitter if I 
I, I feel like you know being doing what I do, you've kind of have to have some kind of activity there. But yeah, um, making a living with this stuff, it I don't know how to give advice on it because my path to this was so uh, all over the place. That's why I was saying before, you know, don't get stuck into one mode, move around because you never know what you're going to end up at. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I also think it's not the worst, the, the positives, it's not the worst to be in the thick of doing all these like drawings and commissions uh, online because you're going to get a lot of experience from that too. Uh, as long as you evolve and you adapt and you, you can find a way to advance it too. Um, yeah. I don't know. That that leapfrogging thing is important, I think, for people to hear, though, um, because you really don't know where you're going to end up. You know, when I when I started doing creative stuff, the first thing I did was comic strips and I did that for a few years and then I started animating and then I did that for about a year and then I started doing skits, you know, and now I make math videos. So it reminds me I went to an economics convention a few years ago and of all people Kane from the WWE, you know, the Undertaker's yeah. brother, Kane, was the keynote speaker. Uh, his real name is Glenn Jacobs. And his speech, his keynote was exactly what you're talking about. Mm. He detailed his career path, you know, quote unquote, from becoming Glenn Jacobs, Kane, one of the most popular wrestlers in the history of the world, as being this ridiculous zigzaggy leapfrog where he thought he was going to go to the NFL and he was going to be this like great football player and he injured his leg and he had to drop out of the NFL and he started wrestling and he had this this gimmick that Vince McMahon made him do called Sir Isaac Yankum DDS which was like an evil dentist <laughs> it was so stupid it was a horrible, yeah. horrible gimmick. Like yeah. no one is likes the evil dentist gimmick. So he yeah. thought like his wrestling career was over, and then you know eventually he came back as Kane, and that blew up, and he yep. was uber uber successful for for many many years, and now he's the mayor of some town in Tennessee, yeah. which is like yeah. good good luck drawing that biography you know when if, you're 18 that's not I possible if a exactly like this is i think about this all the time it's like um it's it's really interesting to me if i could give a a reflection of like what my life was just an example for this it just i feel like it sums all of this up like when i was trying to get into animation and become like a chris o'neill or a psychic pebbles or an eager raptor or a harry partridge i felt like i was a a piece of shit like i felt like i was a loser all those guys were like gods and kings. Uh, so I always hated myself. I hated my cartoons. Even if they got some success, I was like, nah, don't tell me it's good. I know it's bad. I know you're obviously better. Uh, so I always felt like a, a nothing, a loser in that, in that environment. But I still really loved being in it for the competitive nature of it. And even if you're self-loathing, it was good to be like, no, no, we'll try to get better, try to get better. And, you know, like the, the, just learn more, and you know that that's what they did. You know, you're self-loathing, and you're in the, you're in that environment. But the, at some point, you go, oh, fuck this! It's it's too hard. It's not. It, this is not me. I'm not being myself right now. I'm being someone I'm not. Uh, I'm pretending to be someone I'm not. So then, I, I 
went away and I made like Australian stuff. Like uh, this was, you know, like I made Siggy Butt Brain. And because I had all that experience trying to be a better animator, I was now, I'd brought a lot of that, that, uh, knowledge to that field now so when i made siggy butt brain it stood out in the australian communities uh because i was like trying to compete with all those other american animators so they were like what the fuck like you know like how'd you do that and i was like oh because i was i got the experience from that uh, that other arena i was in before it was like almost going it was like being in a big pond um and then going back to the small pond I think it's a benefit to do that a lot in life, like jump around from pond to pond, because then you bring the skills back home. It's it's like if it'd be like if you worked in New York City, uh, and you're like learning everything from Wall Street. You're like a Wall Street guy, and then you go back to your small town in Pennsylvania, and your mum and dad are like, "What the <laughs> fuck? Like you seem so confident now. You seem like you're like, oh my god, can you do my taxes? Like, oh wow, like son, you're." You're like you seem like you've really you've really evolved, and it's because you've been in the fire pit. You you didn't even realize that you were growing, but you were, and it's it's like this weird. Uh, it's like a it's a contradiction because that's all that self loathing and thinking you suck is actually making you better. Uh, so yeah, if that I don't know what that is like what and, and if I can sum that up with a nice little analogy uh, point, but I just. Just keep trying. I guess, I guess. I guess it can just be boiled down to just keep working hard, and you'll be surprised what happens. Yeah, a little bit of imposter syndrome. It sounds like, and fighting through that definitely, I think, can be hard for anybody uh, yeah. doing anything. I'm, whether I'm you're trying to be creative people... or trying to be an athlete or whatever, yeah. yeah. I'm hoping, I mean, I don't know if that's just me. I definitely get that a lot. It's always trying to uh, just be better, like get get better at something, but also just hating yourself too. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is, but I, I don't hate myself that much. I'm pretty comfortable with who I am. Uh, no, But it's good but to yeah. be your own worst critic at times, for sure. Yeah, totally. I, I do think it's a big benefit uh, to to getting better at a skill. Um, Matt, I would love to jump into our baby gang questions. You know, um, I'm sure they're burning. I, I had some more questions f- for Michael, but um, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Although it is early there, you're just starting your day in Australia. Yeah, I'm, I've got, I've got all the time in the world. This is still morning time for me. It's not even lunch. No. <laughs> Did you did you have anything, Kevin, that you wanted to hit on before we we did these? Yes, um, I see and, you and it was, pouring over your files. <laughs> I know my files. <laughs> um, the the other the, the, there were two things. One is just a comment, and the comment is that I'm glad that you um, referenced Beavis and Butthead talking about Demo and Darren because when I was watching it, I was like, "This is Australian Beavis and Butthead, and they're like 25 years older." Yeah. And have have been through through the ringer of oh, those, yeah. they've, they've the, had some the bad course times, of those twenty five years, <laughs> really bad times. Um, but I want to know how long it would take you 
to make an episode of that because I think that's important for people to understand the amount of effort it takes to make a four-minute cartoon like that. Sure. So, Sticky Butt Brain, the first one, uh, I just woke up in the middle of the night and came up with that idea. I was like, I've got to go make that now or I'm going to forget it. I know I am. Like, I got the whole like episode just in my mind. And, uh, yeah, a lot of those ideas just fleet quickly. So, I went, I wrote the script quickly, like, in, like, ten minutes. I did the voices probably in about an hour. Uh, and then the animation for that, I'd say, I want to say it was about two weeks to do that, but it probably could have been less if I wasn't procrastinating and being a a, a lazy son of a bitch. So, you know, you could probably make Siggy by Brain in a week. Uh, but some of the sequels probably took more like three weeks uh, to a month. I, it really depends on how many shots and angles and how many drawings you've got to do, how many different uh, settings they're in. Because, you know, if there's a new setting, you always have to... It's going to be a new drawing, so that's going to take time. A animation like YOLO took about a month and a half. I think YOLO 2 took like three months. Again, this is like on and off too. You know, you might take a few days off. Um, but yeah. yeah you have to take a few days off. I mean, that would be crazy to just slam on that nonstop. I mean, and how long are these days that you're working on something like that? Uh pretty long i remember sometimes five it'd be hours like, eight hours ten oh, hours no, like, like 12 12 hours uh sometimes back in the day i feel like that's almost an old version of me where i was so uh just dedicated to getting an animated video out there sometimes i would just spend like three weeks straight pretty much just always working on that stuff because you just be like i need to get this out i've got the idea it's it's a animation's a a strange thing because you've got to be like ADHD but also really patient which is pretty much contrasting uh, uh psychological viewpoints so you've i think what what glues them together is like an uh, is a perception of the future so you've got to be like in in day 2 when you're animating something that's going to take a month and you want it out now and you've got the idea now and you're you're getting over it you're getting cuz even up even even like in, in day two of animating a video that you thought was really funny on day one, you'll start to think it's not that funny. So you've got to mm-hmm. train yourself to to think, all right, whatever I thought at the first moment when I came up with the idea, that's how everyone else is going to perceive it. So you've got to have a, a good, uh, I guess, um, vision into the future, uh, uh, seeing the big picture and just knowing, all right, if I just get through the slog of, of self-loathing and hatred for myself. And and also a good thing to do is like, all right, I know this is funny. I'm just going to listen to podcasts and like music while I draw this and just treat it like a job, you know, so you even forget why you're making it. And you're now you're just a busy bee. You're like a, you're like a, like an Android making this thing. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's, it's weird how it's, I, I feel like I struggle a little, little bit to do it now too. So I've, I've got to get better at that myself. Uh, but yeah, it takes like about a month to make a full animated video, it seems, on average. Those are long days, though, and that's why I wanted to ask, because you're like, oh, yeah, 12 hours a day. So, I mean, you know, 12 times 30, that's 360 hours Yeah, to make I, a four-minute thing. But that's also, a lot like, of work. It's, it's for me, I, I don't want to speak for <laughs> other people, because I'm sure... They're much more diligent than me, but that could also be like you're sitting there animating like a background and then you're watching a video and then like you'll find yourself just watching that 
for an hour and then you're, you're, you're like, you've just like sunk an hour of work. So you kind of, you, you balance back and forth between being productive and wasting time. At least I do. I try, I try to get better at that, but God damn, it's hard. <laughs> um, yeah, but it is a lot of time. This, this stuff takes I think a lot that's of time. totally normal. I think it's totally normal to have to take mental breaks on stuff like that. And it's interesting so. to, that you say you have to kind of trust your initial instinct that the thing was funny and and it is still funny because you it takes so long to see that joke mm. um created. I I just never thought about it like like that. So I think that's a really interesting yeah, it's aspect it's of yeah, like the struggle of animation. Like I say, is you've just got to because it, it is two contrasting things. Like uh, uh, thinking something's really funny, and then also being really impatient with getting it done. You've just got to have that golden little uh, chip in your brain that's like, all right, forget any fuck your self loathing, fuck your critical thinking about this. Just make it, and then it'll be good. Tr- trust me. Like you tr- trust your your previous self that's dead now. You can't even remember why it's funny. That it really is like that. You'll be like half way into something and just be like what the fuck is this like this is just a dumb idea you're just gonna be like no no just trust the initial thing it's it's all gonna be fine um i'm trying to remember before we get to our um guest uh, or guest our uh baby gang questions (laughs) i'm trying to remember of what i uh matt do you remember exactly how i phrase the question to Zach when he was first on asking him to make up a show on the spot. Do you remember that? <laughs> I, think, I don't remember I think, the I phrasing. Think, yeah, it was something like it was something like this. And and I'll try I'll try to recreate it the best I can. Um all right. So if you came up with a show right now on the spot that one of our listeners listening to the podcast is going to then animate your description of it, what would it be? Could be uh, anything, any character, any scenario, anything. Just brain dump. Um, let's see. I would make it as, um, let's call him Mr. Blugel, and he lives in Australia. And he, he lives in probably the worst part of Australia because it's the only part that's actually war torn. Uh, there's a civil war in this little uh, <laughs> town called um, uh, Gublagoo. And he lives there, and it's the, the it's really bad because it, everywhere else in Australia is peaceful, except this small town of it's only about sixteen people, but they've been they've been warring for a, about a hundred years now over over territory and uh, and a, a, a lot of other stuff that is hard to get into. So uh, his life of how he's struggling to get by just in this this awful little town, this hellhole that he's growing up in, and he can't get out too. That's the other thing, you know, it's fenced off. If you if you grow up here, you have to live and die here and choose a faction to fight for. So uh, yeah, that that'd be a that'd be a show I can see running for probably probably about only like three seasons. Uh, but I think it would have a really good like finale that could be like a two hour type epic where um, we could even see the war end finally. Does he die in the war, or does he just die of? You'll like, have to old find age? out. Like, I, th- I think what he is changes the end? sides a few times. <laughs> I think he also does like a Scarface thing where he he goes up the ranks and uh, like similar to like Barry Lyndon, how he just fell into the ranks of a different army 
uh, and then you know he he defected and then and came back and then he was a war hero. I think this guy like saved his his uh his uh lieutenant that hated him because uh, he thought he was just a pathetic little beta male, like a little short, like five foot two thing. He actually saved him on the war fi- uh, on the battleground. Uh, so now now the lieutenant thinks he's cool and and gave him the the medal of honor. So he just I think he just goes up the ranks like that. He 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 does have like a Scarface ending, I think, at the end. He's he's a uh, he's at the top and realizes, you know, it was all for this. It was just all for power, and this this war is just uh is just uh going on for other people's interests. And I think you'll have to watch the finale to see what happens there. But I think it's going to be pretty exciting. <laughs> Blue, what's his name? Blugel uh from from Blongorang. <laughs> I can't even remember the town, the town, or the character's name. <laughs> but I, I, it's, we just call it the, the epic, the epic war of Australia. The town was Gobble Goo. And oh, really? As soon okay. as you said that, I immediately thought, yeah, of like the types of towns that you have in your cartoons are always named things like that. Is that? Gobble- I I didn't know, yeah. you know, being an ignorant American of Australia, I, I was like, are Australian towns named things like Gobblegoo? Kinda. I mean, that's probably not the best example. Wollongong is where I'm from. The town I'm from. Uh, we have a lot of like um indigenous names in in Australia that they you know I guess. I guess we just used to call them the towns. I don't know how that worked, but uh, you know, you know it's weird because it's a mix of you'll you'll find towns like um, you know, well, like you know, there's like Queensland and uh, New South Wales, but they'll be next to fucking Wollongong and and uh, you know, uh, Bundawang and that kind of shit. Those names, so uh, which is great. I think you know, it gives us a unique flavor. It it does. I love it. I wish that we had uh, towns named things as interesting as that. I you mean, everything I here mean, is I, just I think like you, you can just just to start. I think you guys should start a petition to even call call a town in Pennsylvania Blongawang or whatever I said before. I'm sure your your subscribers <laughs> could make that happen. Your army. We need that. We everything here is just like you know named after old presidents, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Yeah, but that's cool too. Like you guys Washington. have got a unique vibe. Yeah, I guess I guess it's not all that different. Uh, Matt, do we have any uh, questions to throw at Michael? We do. We do. Uh, I'm trying to think of the order that we do these. Um, first, I'll, I'll, I'll hit kudos. Um, have Have you been to Bendigo? I actually haven't. Uh, I know that they put a Yolo Crystal Fantasy billboard up there recently. Uh, and I never got anyone to take a picture of it for me. I think it's there. Adult Swim Center went there, but I, yeah, I myself have never been to Bendigo. I know it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sin that I haven't seen the town that is so, uh, such a starring setting point in in Bushwood Adventures. But I, I think I'm just gonna, I'll, I'll see how long I, I can go without going there. Uh, if if they pay <laughs> if they pay me to go for something, I'll, I'll, I might think about it. When they present you with the key to the city, <laughs> yeah, actually, that's, when you need that's to go. funny. Like in saying that, the key, key to the city, the mayor of Bendigo was very offended at the Bushworld Adventures episode, and uh, she said <laughs> it was a. She, there was like a newspaper article where 
she was asked, like, what do you think of the Rick and Morty episode in Bendigo? And she was like, um, I thought it was a quite inaccurate portrayal of our lovely town, actually. I would have, <laughs> I would have preferred if they r- mentioned the beautiful Easter show that we had recently, but they didn't do that, and I thought it was quite offensive. So she, I don't think she was the biggest fan, but, uh, you know, you never know. Maybe she likes YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Maybe it hit too close to home and yeah, she's projecting, oh, yes. you know, this fake criticism. Mm, I think she's a probably. secret fan, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was nice to read that. I thought it was funny. Well, next one we have is actually from Jeff. It's not a question. It's just Jeff says hi. That's hi, a Jeff. nice sentiment. I like that. That is nice. And I say hello back to Jeff and I hope he has that a swell good. day. <laughs> that's, that's excellent. That's a, a smooth one. Um, Andrew wants, this is, this is big. This is a big one. He says, will there be smiling friends episode two? Is that a question you can answer? So with, with smiling friends in like episode two in the season, it's just all, we're just trying to figure all, figure it all out. You know, it only happened all recently. And I, I should say again, like YOLO crystal fantasy happening. wasn't like, you know, it doesn't mean that happens. So smiling friends season one can't happen. That, that was in the works way before smiling friends that's just a continuation from bushward adventures you know it was just like the like the spiritual successor to that to that episode but um yeah smiling friends we're just trying to figure it all out but zach and i are working a lot always to uh on stuff and together so i don't really have anything solid to say on that but zach and i are you know still a very strong working duo so we will eventually hear something as things develop, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens yeah. there. It's, it's uh, just one of those things. It's, like, it's up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it just, I, I don't think a lot of people realize how long and convoluted yeah, the timelines are. Yeah, it's a lot of things. This stuff's very, anything like it's that. very slow. There's a lot of uh, aspects to it. Um, but I mean, the most important thing to know is Adult Swim likes the pilot. And Zach and I love working together. Well, we love I the think pilot those are the too. Things and that... it, if it doesn't, uh, if we don't get more episodes, I think uh, we will all march on William Street. Yeah, oh no, don't do that. We'll ha- just, 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 <laughs> just, 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 just send a, just send a, just send a nasty email. No, no, no marching on William Street, please. <laughs> I'm creating the Facebook event right now oh, for the March gosh. on William Street. <laughs> now that it, now it'll be yeah. like the Area 51 <laughs> meme. Yeah. I'm gonna narrow to run to uh, William Street. Oh gosh, no, no, please, please don't do that. <laughs> oh, it wouldn't be that nice to do that. <laughs> don't don't get Michael in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so cat ass. <laughs> so cat yeah, asked. Um, are your animations something that you see in your dreams or your nightmares? And were you on acid when you made the Rick and Morty video? No, I've never, I've never done acid. Actually, I don't think I <laughs> get inspiration from nightmares. Sometimes I get inspiration from dreams. I know that David Firth gets inspiration from dreams. He's got a series called Sock, where he animates like a uh, kind of parts of his dreams or stuff he can remember and tries to uh, structure it in some kind of. Uh, thing that's viewable I, I don't I sometimes do that I, I 
it's hard to know where my inspiration comes from. It it can come from all types of different things. It can come come from just collaborating and you just joke around about something and then you visualize something together, or it's it's something that you come up with uh, on your own, and and that can be all types of different ways. And it usually is if you're like I was saying a lot in this episode. It's usually if you're interested in a topic or a subject or something like that, that can that can spark some kind of idea. Well, Ben, who uh, Ben producer Ben needs something from you very badly, uh, and, and I think we all do actually. Uh, do you mind just just saying that you love kids? Uh, sure. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll turn down my, my game. So I <laughs> this, but, uh, um, yes, I love kids. <laughs> that's going to satisfy your, your, pedoph- your pedophilic urges. Your, your, whatever the fuck that's your fetish. <laughs> that really was one of the best bits in that episode. <laughs> yeah, people who, who haven't seen Smiling Friends, uh, please understand that's from the show. <laughs> I know. That's, that is that's, not. That's, inst- that's instantly yeah. what I like, thought about provide- afterward. I, I was just like, God damn, that, that, like, that isolated, that- if you hadn't seen Smiling Friends, would be. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, that that is a joke from a from a from a comedy uh, animated pilot. If you didn't know that, uh, not something I think yes. or endorse in any way. I do love kids, but in a very platonic way, in a in a I'd say a very wholesome way. So, uh, yeah, I love kids. Good, <laughs> good, and 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 Ben. I mean, Ben said I'm going to edit out the context, but you know. <laughs> oh god uh, <laughs> uh, marching on william street and that i think uh, i think i'm done i think i think this is the podcast that killed my career i was waiting for it i knew it was coming soon i think we actually had an evolution just now we're actually going to have an i love kids rally outside william street oh god yeah see this is i'll be working back at subway in a week <laughs> uh, that's that's the thing i've always got that that fail safe like if whenever my career is fucked and ruined and i'm, I'm just uh um, blacklisted and broke. I've, I can always just go back and make Subway sandwiches again. So that's that's the that's the safety blanket, the safety net I've got. I mean, not mm. always. Jared so, Jared Fogel's not making oh, any yeah, Subway yeah, sandwiches sure, anytime sure, you know too. Just, may, just maybe to kind of tie a couple homeless. topics together. Yeah, maybe I'll just uh, be, yeah, I'll just die and be homeless instead, and have no safety net. Oh, um, I'll just become the characters out of Demo and Darren instead. Asking for Siggy's on the street. Do you have? Yeah. A, do you, you you've got to have a weird subway story, like one, like a, a thirty second one. That's like the weirdest sandwich you you ever had to make. Kudos mentioned that in the chat, but there, something strange had to have happened at Subway once, right? I I, rem- I I can rattle off a few times. I remember once I was in a lunch rush and I got a knife and like tried to cut open mayonnaise and I did it so quickly that I sliced my hand and blood went everywhere uh, and like over like vegetables and everything and I was like all the people just looking at me and I just had to like run into the back and like bandage it up and it just kept bleeding so I just remember slicing my hand really badly um I remember uh let's see I remember falling over in front of everybody because the ground was wet and I was like I can't go back out there I can't go out so I refused to work just because I was so embarrassed I didn't want to go back and face of the people that just saw me fall down like an idiot um i oh god subway yeah that was a whole other life um you'd get i mean it, to be honest it wasn't that entertaining or like uh, story 
story worthy. It was um, it was just making sandwiches, but <laughs> well, uh, it's good. You, it's good to work those. You bled over. all over vegetables. Yeah, that was all like, right. That, that's pretty good. pretty good. Yeah, it's enough. I think. <laughs> uh, James wants to uh, James who has a mate that is quote always pocketing me lighters uh, wants to know about your beef with yabbies yabbies is I've got no beef at all with yabbies yabbies was just floating around in my mind because I used to go camping with my dad and uh, my uncle uh, out out in a small town in Victoria uh, I know it sounds really weird on paper now, doesn't it? Going going camping as a ten year old out with like two grown men, but it was actually really wholesome and cool. Like they would get drunk while I just sat there reading. Uh, I used to take like history books. So nerdy when I think about it. like you know like weird weird science or like horrible histories. I don't know if you guys know those books, but I used to love them, <laughs> and I used to take those to those camping adventures and just listen to their stories, like their old man stories, and. uh they used to go um, yabby hunting during the day. It was like our food would would eat that for dinner. These yabbies and uh, my uncle taught me how to catch them uh, using yabby nets in in his in his dam. And the, the thing with yabbies is they're like crustate cr- crustaceans, but they're not that tasty at all. They taste like mud. Uh, I don't know if you guys have them in a in America. I think they're called crawfish. There maybe. But maybe not. Crayf- um, yeah, crayfish. crayfish. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I think they might be yeah. a little bit different. But they're they're very muddy, and I used to be terrible. I think I, I find when I analyze the stuff that I do or what I animate, there's a correlation between things that I'm, I'm scared of or have had a a weird fear or fascination with. And the thing with yabbies, it used to frighten me so much because my uncle used to say, "Yeah, when you put them in the boiling water." They scream because it's the worst feeling in the entire world and they're suffering so much and they feel it for a few seconds. So you're going to hear them scream because they're being tortured. And I was like, oh, okay. And you do put the, you put the yabbies in. You can hear like- <laughs> That's grim. You can hear like like scream, like popping and stuff. And like I think it's a high-pitched noise. And he was like, that's it. That's them screaming to death. Like they're, they're suffering. And uh, it scared it scared me so much. I don't. I think he was fucking with me though, because I I feel like that's just the noise that they make as a when they're just boiling. Like that's a really really famous. No, it's a really famous thing with lobsters too. Is that that it says? Yeah, that's not true though. It's just like the sound of the air uh, escaping their uh, like the the, yeah the air escaping their like their exoskeleton. Yeah, yeah, something more like that. But but (laughs) I think I I look. I think he knew that too. But I think he liked seeing a little stupid ten year old's eyes uh, light up and start to shake in fear because that would terrify me thinking of these beautiful little yabbies <laughs> freak you screaming out. to death <laughs> yeah. torturing them so yeah i got but that, that, what, I wait, once again so that. Yeah. once again the the australian name is so much cooler to me than the american name like crayfish crawfish what is that yabbies come on yeah. that's great i wish yeah. we called them yabbies it's so much more interesting i feel like a lot of the su- success yeah, i've yabbies. gotten from online is is probably like 50 percent of the fact that i just use like australianisms and it's got an australian gloss over it so I'm, i i definitely capitalize on that but also unknowingly like i didn't i don't think i realized that americans didn't know what yabbies were so yeah that it's not like as funny to me as it probably is to you guys so that's a it's it's just you fall into those happy accidents just being a stupid foreigner like i am 
<laughs> it works. It's a funny word. Well, the Kino Corner wants to ask you an Australian question. What is your favorite Australian film? My favorite Australian film right now is a film called Hail. Uh, it's an independent film shot in Melbourne. Uh, I don't know if it's independent or if it's just lower budget than a regular film, but it's really good. Um, I love that film. That's like one of my animations, but live action. I only watched it recently, and I was just amazed at how realistic it is. Like, you really rarely see realistic Australian characters in movies, I think, and that movie has some great ones. Another film, uh, Wake and Fright, is a fantastic Australian film from um, from the early 70s. It's a... It's around the era of Ozploitation, which we called it, where it's, you know, like the exploitation period, but in Australia. Uh, yeah. And also, I don't know if Fury Road counts, Mad Max Fury Road, but I fuck, I love that movie. That is such a, it is so refreshing when you see a good Australian film, because I, I think it's a bit rare. Uh, cause, you know, we've got identity cri- an identity in crisis here in Australia, which I, I suffer from as well. It's like... Do you want to be like America? Do you want to try to create your own type of culture? Are, are we still going off our old English uh, kind of cultural, um, you know, that that's so ingrained in us. So we're basically just a, uh, England, but down under. So we, we've got this thing where we don't really know what our identity is, but um, sometimes an Australian film comes across that really captures that well. Uh, and I think... The ones I mentioned are good. Babadook's really good too. Did well, you see uh, uh, the Kino Jeff- Corner was thrilled about about uh, uh, Wake and Fright about you mentioning that? Yeah, he went nuts in the in the chat. So that was a good one. Yeah, it's definitely a good one. A really good one. Classic. And uh, Jeff Davis wanted to know if you have seen uh, Jake from Vsauce 3's Could You Survive Mad Max video where he talks about the science of surviving some of this stuff in Fury Road. No, have you I, seen that on YouTube? I, no, I have actually. You know, I was going to say I haven't, but I think I have seen that. Uh, I want to say I have or I dreamt it. I just feel like that that sounds very familiar. Um, yeah. <laughs> No, you know what? Maybe I haven't seen that. Uh, I feel like I, I, you know, I think I just thought about it. I was like, how realistic is it to survive some of these things? So, yeah, no, no I don't think I have. It is on the YouTube.com. Oh, good. I love that. Uh, when, I love that website. Ready. I've been there. <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, I've, I've been there before. Um, Conrad 500 is asking for any anime recommendations or favorite anime, if that's a genre you're into. I'm definitely not a anime guy. It's, I don't have any uh, objection to anime, but I just don't gravitate to it for some reason. I've been told that Neon Genesis is a anime to check out. I've been yet to do that. One day I will. And when I watch that, I'll definitely recommend it back to you. So that's it. I recommend if it you're to not myself. an anime guy, because <laughs> I love Neon Genesis Evangelion. <laughs> good, yeah, I've watched it so many times. Yeah, it's, it's it. so good. It's amazing. I, yeah, I think I've, so. I've it's definitely it. one of my favorites. It's been yeah. sitting on my list for a long time. So yeah, I'll get around to it. I'll get straight back to you with my review. Even watching it, uh, uh, the the original series more so than the newer movies, for sure. 
Um, but I would say it's wa- it's worth watching just to know how weird it ends. Yeah, yeah. Everyone says and that. I won't yeah, yeah. spoil anything beyond that. But it's worth watching because it's such a unique ending and such a memorable, weird way that that okay. show ends. And and reading about why it ended that way is fascinating. So yeah. if you want to talk about going down one of your wormholes, that's a good wormhole, man. It's yeah, a good wormhole. sure, sure. It's it's funny. I'm hearing that a lot. So there must be a lot of validity to that. I'll I'll check it. I'll, I've got to check out Neon Genesis. It's I'll do it. I'll do it very soon. I might even I might even do it today. I might start. So I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> well, we have two more, one substantial, one epic. Um Chinchilla uh, asked what if you had to distill it down what the main inspirations behind your art style were. Uh if I had to distill that down or rather. So I I want to say South Park was probably a big initial inspiration, as well as Mad Magazine. A lot of the comics in that were a big inspiration, so I took from that. The Simpsons as well. Uh, I love drawing just crude kind of characters that could uh, that I see as like Simpsons inspired by like the big eyes specifically, big round eyes that pops up a lot of my animation. Uh, yeah, those those early ones were really big inspirations. Um, also, like Beavis and Butthead, obviously. Uh, also, like the, all the online animators I was talking about before, just watching them, to you you get a bit of inspiration from that. Uh, yeah, but I don't even feel like I've got a. St- I don't know if I have a style because it it moves around a lot. Like for instance, if you put like the characters from Siggy Butt Brain next to some of the colorful characters I'll draw on like the Flusec channel or even that next to the characters in YOLO. Uh, it, it moves around a bit. It's a lot for me. It's not even like I know my style and I do it. It's just a lot of trial and error and, uh, and experimentation. Yeah. You talked so much about having inspirations from, uh, in, in like kind of, mind work in a million different fields from all over the place. Uh, and I, I thought, yeah, if you, if you had to put it on a bumper sticker, what would it be? So, so getting that list of just what pops into your head there is, is actually kind of cool, you yeah. know, uh, to get the super, super short, like bullet list versus the incredibly nuanced, like life theory of creativity. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> so that's cool. I hope that was all right. It feels like it's a lot of that. It's just I, like, the rantings of a schizophrenic man. So if you can take away anything from that, uh, uh, God, good, good luck. <laughs> well, the last part is, is what's become probably a regrettable feature of, of these interviews. Uh, we need to know what your persona is. My persona? No, fursona oh, with an F. Oh, gosh. If you were a furry, if you were a furry, what is your furry identity? Oh, God. Now, this is a field that I know next to nothing about. But uh, if I was a furry... I, that, I, I think that makes the answer okay, better. I, uh, I, Isaac asked this. I forget who was first. I, I think Zach might have been first, I might actually. Even, you know what? I'd be a platypus because I feel like people are going to think I've got to be an Australian <laughs> thing. But I, I feel like kangaroo and wombat, that's too predictable. I'd be a platypus because they're the most, they're the rarest uh, Australian animals, uh, like the classic Australian animal to find <laughs> here. Like, 
most people have never seen a platypus in real life. And for a long time, uh, everyone thought they were a hoax around the world because they just seemed like an amalgamation of five different animals. So yeah, I'd, I'd be a platypus just to be just to stand <laughs> out and be uh, the edgy fursona person from all the other Australian kangaroos and wombats that would be fursonas here in Australia. <laughs> are there, are there I remember other in the elements? 80s there was a magazine. Oh, oh, go on, Kevin. No, I, I just want to flesh out the fursona here. Are there other elements to having a fursona other than choosing an animal? Like, do you need to describe what you're wearing, for instance? I don't know the rules here, but I think there you, you might I need... Think, I think we're getting some, into dicey territory, Kevin. I'd probably, I, I see what you're saying. I probably would have a cape. I would have a cool red cape. To add to the like the the fursona, and okay, I think I'd have good. a weapon. I wouldn't have a dagger, or a katana, or anything like that. I was saying before, I'd probably have like a gravity gun from Half Life or some kind of like future tech, uh, just just to really customize myself up so I stood out from everyone else. I I think I'd be like a you know what? There might even be a bit of steam steampunk in there. Who knows? I mean, anything can happen. And don't they so lay eggs? Platypus. Yes. Yeah. That's good. With a gravity gun. <laughs> yeah, uh, the uh, you mentioned the egg laying thing. That was part of the commercial that I was I was going to mention for the oh Ranger Rick magazine in the eighties or Zoo Books. Uh, maybe oh, it was yeah. Zoo Books. It was always on in the eighties. This commercial and they they advertised like we feature an animal every month, like the duck billed platypus. I'm like what's that? Mm. Mm. <laughs> you know, and then show this freaky thing on the screen. I mean, it, it was awesome when I was eight. Yeah. They, they're cool, man. Like, I'd love to see one in real life. Like I say, they're super rare. I think they're endangered. Uh, they don't they don't like to show their face that much. But, yeah, I want to track them down. I want to track a plat- my My goal in life is to find a platypus wherever it is. I know it's hiding somewhere in here. Um, I think they also have a venomous spur, if I'm not mistaken I think they do yeah I they're, think they're really yeah. weird yes yeah, they're like they're like several features of them that are like extra strange yeah, yeah. i'm pretty yeah. sure they can mess right you up that. with their I mean, venomous, the, the venomous uh yeah man we got we have some, <laughs> some weird shit in australia just for uh, our animals and plant life is uh has evolved for so long away from uh, a lot of different environments it's a very harsh environment here too so got some weird shit <laughs> <laughs> well, well. Listen, you you you've you've put up with a lot, Michael. Um, we really appreciate you coming on. We got your persona down. You know, Andre from um, you know, from our side will be drawing up your persona probably as oh, we speak and, and posting it once the episode <laughs> oh, goes I can't live. Wait. And um, t- let's let everybody know Yolo Crystal Fantasy. Is it Sundays at midnight, right? On Adult Swim. That's when people can watch yes. your show. Yeah, Yellow Crystal Fantasy airing, uh, like you say, Sundays midnight, Adult Swim. I don't know if that's Easter Standard or LA time. I know nothing about that. Uh, yep, yeah, first two episodes aired last weekend. We've got uh, six more episodes to go. They're airing two episodes a night. Uh, it was a really fun show. It was a big fucking slog. It was just, like I say, uh, a continuation of the bush world thing uh and yeah hope you hope you enjoy that mess of of australiana <laughs> 
I enjoy well, between, it thoroughly. Uh, <laughs> between YOLO and uh, the, the projects that we may see more of, like Smiling Friends, like you've got a lot of different things going on, and it, it sounds like uh, you're going to have quite a few things just perpetually going on forever here. Yeah, so, yeah. very busy. Uh, I'm excited to see what bizarre thing happens. Yeah, very busy, very excited to be doing all this stuff. I'm, I feel incredibly lucky, and I love doing it, so... Yeah, I'll be I'll be pumping out this garbage by myself and with Zach and with whoever else for for a while now, I reckon. And uh yeah, it's fun. I'm enjoying it. I'd love to see YOLO Crystal Fantasy the feature film someday. Ooh. Someday. I know you got it in you. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. It's that, in there. That'll be it's, I I kind of treated season one like a not like a film, but uh, uh it's just cuz I like the the storyboarding aspect. I like to kind of see i i guess i it happens with me all the time if i'm doing something solo i do picture it live action first then i just try to pull pull that into the animation world actually in fact i'd love to get into live action filmmaking after all of this i still love that world so much uh i just love art man that's if you can sum me down i love it i love all this crazy stuff it's just so fun <laughs> I'm an artiste. Well, hey, and that's that why you worked got out. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. The uh, going from animation to live action worked for Mike Judge. Man, Office Space is hilarious. Uh, yeah, I love a, that he's movie. He's a huge inspiration for me, and that happens a lot to me as well. Where I'll I want to do something, and I'm like, I can't do that because I'm the Australian animated guy. And then, like, the, a good example is like Filthy Frank. He was filthy Frank for so long. He created that identity. Yeah, then he yeah. fucking fantastically yeah. jumped to Joji. It's amazing. That's a huge inspiration to me. I love to see people doing that. It's so hard, but it's it's doable uh, to just do a 180 in your career and reinvent yourself or just uh, get invested in a whole different type of art form. Yeah, it's amazing. Um and um, I'm sure that we will be with you along the way. I'm looking forward to seeing what your 180 is when you when you drop your your smooth beats R and B album in five years. Oh, thanks, guys! I'm so <laughs> glad you're along with me on this road to Mount Doom. You're like my my Sam and We're Pip here. from Lord of the Rings, while I I carry this awful ring, <laughs> and we'll 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 do yeah. this adventure together. Yeah. I'll be I'll, I'll be boiling potatoes in the back. Yeah, oh, yes, for you. Um, thank you uh thank 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 you so much for joining us um thank you to all of our patrons for hanging out with us this whole time if you want to be part of the show like they are you need to become a patron at patreon.com slash the create unknown we have many great tiers you can join the dumpster crew which is very popular you can join the baby gang which is our most elite Tier and the most elite group that you can possibly be on, uh, be in on planet Earth. But to do that, you got to go to Patreon.com/slash The Create Unknown. Thanks again, Michael. You are awesome. We love everything you're doing. I've watched all your stuff twice and uh, really laughed harder the second time. I think each time with smiling friends, with YOLO, it's so dense that. <laughs> It gets funnier the more you watch it. 
That's, it's just great. That's really nice of you to say. Thank you so much for having me. I I love doing this, and uh, yeah, it was it was really fun. So I'm very humbled to be here. We'll put links wow. in the description for everything that we've mentioned that that you've worked on. And so if you haven't seen any of these things that we've talked about, they'll be right in the description. Click them. Go go go. Check them out. You won't be disappointed. And uh, Michael, enjoy Neon Genesis Evangelion. <laughs> yes. It's going to be quite a ride for you. Uh, everybody else, we will see you, Space Cowboys.